Father, we thank you for drawing us together this evening. We anticipate a blessing from you. We are encouraged to know that while this world may be in no small amount of turmoil right now because of the pandemic and because of the social unrest and because of the political uncertainty and so many other things, financial challenges that many people are facing, it's encouraging for us to know that you are still on the throne, that you are still in control, and that you are still a God who hears and answers prayers. So we ask that this evening, as we open your word, you would pour out your spirit, that he might enlighten us to the message that you have for us, and that we might come away from this evening encouraged, inspired, and challenged by your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, this evening's message is called Treasure Hunters. I'd like to begin by sharing a story. And for those of you who have heard me share messages before, you know that there is one kind of story that I like more than any other kind of story, and that is something called a true story. So true story. Back on August 21st, August 21, 1922, a baby boy was born in Indiana. This baby boy's name was Mel Fisher. Now, Mel Fisher developed a love for reading at a young age, loved reading. And one book that he came across, he loved more than any other. It was a book by an author named Robert Louis Stevenson or Robert Louis Stevenson. The book was called Treasure Island. There's a high likelihood that many of you have probably read that book or know something about it, but what was Treasure Island about? Well, it was about pirates. It was about ships. It was about gold. It was about emeralds and precious stones. It was about uh, adventure and excitement for a young boy. In a word, if you were to summarize what the book was about, the book was about treasure. And that really caught Mel Fisher's uh, imagination. Now, there was one challenge that he faced in, uh, in realizing uh, what he hoped to be a life full of adventure, to, to kind of live the life that he saw in Treasure Island. One of the biggest challenges that he faced was, well, he lived in Indiana. And there's not a whole lot of pirates. There are not a whole lot of pirate ships. There's not a lot of uh, sunken chests. There's not a lot of gold and silver, so to speak, in Indiana. Now, you've got some pretty fertile soil there, and if you work it like a good farmer should, you could make some money, but that wasn't really what he was interested in. But he was stuck in Indiana raising chickens. But at this particular time in history, sport diving was kind of in its infancy. It was just beginning. People were just starting to, to get into it, to learn about it. But he began diving when that sport was in its infancy and developed a passion for it. He started practicing it. In fact, what he ended up doing was moving out to California and he opened the very first dive shop in California and started training people how to dive. But as he was doing this, he remembered back to his childhood, that story, that book that he had read so many years ago about pirate gold and lost galleons. 
And he decided that he wanted to find one. So he started looking for them uh, out there in California. And he said some success. He found uh, some gold. He found some treasure out there, but not really what he had hoped to find. And so in 1969, he came across a book. It was a book about a ship that was lost in the year 1622 in a hurricane. The name of that ship was the Nuestra Señora de Atocha, or as what was often called the Atocha. There were 40 tons of silver and gold on that ship, at least according to the records and the stories of the Atocha. 40 tons of silver and gold on it. And he thought to himself, if I could just find that ship, I would be able to realize all of my life's dreams. If I could just locate that ship. And so he started to gather together information about the Atosha. He went over charts and maps and historical documents, and he began to narrow down the search area to where he believed the Atocha may have wrecked. He eventually ended up moving his base of operations out to Key West, so from one coast all the way to the other, out to Key West, and he sent out ships to try to find the location of that wreck. That went on for years. But finally, on July 20th, 1985, 16 years after he began his search, at 1.05 p.m., his son was out on one of the ships and he radioed back to his father who was there in the dive headquarters and the radio crackled to life. What was the message that came over it? The message was, Dad, put away the charts, we've found the mother load. What had they found? They had indeed found the wreck of the Atocha. They managed to bring up 114,000 pieces of eight. Pieces of eight are Spanish silver coins. There were artifacts of gold, of silver, Colombian emeralds, over 1,000 silver ingots came up from the wreck. The value of that wreck, the value of the treasure that was brought forth from the sea, $400 million, $400 million. It was the greatest treasure found since King Tut's tomb, $400 million. What a treasure. But is that really what life is all about? Is it about finding gold and silver and emeralds and wealth. I think you and I both know that there are more valuable things in life, but there are probably some people out there who would argue with us. It all depends on what your sense of value is based upon. But there's a wonderful quote in a book called Steps to Christ on pages 94 and 95 that are going to kind of give us our launching pad for the study that we're going to do this evening. Again, this is found in the book called Steps to Christ, pages 94 and 95. Here's what that quote says. It says, why should the sons and daughters of God be reluctant to pray when prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse where are treasured the boundless resources of omnipotence? The boundless resources of omnipotence are found in heaven's storehouse. So what does heaven hold that is so valuable? Tonight, we're going to go through about five or six passages of scripture to see what heaven's storehouse holds. 
And if we can find what heaven's storehouse holds, I think we are going to find that it is worth much more than $400 million. So let's open our Bibles this evening. We're going to turn to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, and we're going to look at verse chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. 2 Chronicles, chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. We're going to look here at the story of a man that you're probably familiar with if you spend any time studying the Bible, and that is a man named Solomon. Of course, Solomon was David's son, and we're going to take a look at this story when Solomon made a request of God. And there are some significant things about Solomon's request here that if we can grab a hold of will benefit us today many, many years later. So we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, beginning in verse number 7, and we'll probably read down through verse number 12. In fact, let's go back to verse number 6 just to get a little bit of context. In verse number 6, it says, And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. So you can see here that Solomon was very sincere, very uh, intentional about his service of the Lord. It says here in verse number seven, on that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said to God, you have shown great mercy to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established, for you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Now, notice his request here. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people for who can judge this great people of yours. Notice as Solomon is making this request, he's not making it for his own personal benefit. Look at verse number 11. It says, then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemy, enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had who were before you nor nor shall any after nor shall any after you have the like so when solomon asked for that wisdom when he asked for that knowledge again he wasn't asking for it for himself he was asking for it so that he could do the work that god had given him to do it wasn't to benefit himself personally but it was to benefit god's work and god's people so what is one of these treasures that heaven has, that God has in his storehouse, that he wants to give to you, that he wants to give to me, that he wants to give liberally to anyone who wants to have it. The first gift, the first treasure that is in heaven's storehouse is wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge, first thing that God has in heaven's storehouse that he wants to give to you and to me. Solomon asked for it, and he was given it. If you and I ask for wisdom and knowledge, and we do it humbly, and we do it in order to benefit God and his work and his kingdom, 
we can expect that God will give wisdom to us just as he gave it to Solomon. So that's the first treasure in heaven's storehouse, wisdom and knowledge. Let's take a look at another treasure that's in heaven's storehouse. We're going to go over to 2 Kings. 2 Kings, of course, is just a little bit before where we were in 2 Chronicles. We're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. And this is going to be the story of, of Elisha and the king of Syria. We're going to 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 13 and down through verse number 17. Now, just a little bit of background here. Uh, Elisha was a prophet of the Lord and the king of Syria was battling against the king of Israel and fighting against him. But uh, God, of course, was on the side of the king of Israel and most certainly on Elisha's side. Well, Elisha was kind of thwarting some of the king of Syria's plans because anytime he would plan to do something against the king of Israel, uh, God would inform Elisha and Elisha would inform the king and the king would get out of, uh, out of the hot water that the king of Syria had planned for him. And so finally, the king of Syria finds where Elisha is, and he goes and he surrounds the city that Elisha is in. So we're in 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse number uh, 13. <clears throat> in verse number 13, it says, so he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore, he, that is the king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, that is Elisha's servant, arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? Now you can almost imagine what it was like that morning for Elisha's servant as he went out for his morning walk. He was there in the city of Dothan. Maybe he went up on the city walls and decided to get some fresh air, some exercise. And as he's walking around the city, he looks out and outside the city, he sees horses and chariots and enemy soldiers all around the city. And he is scared. So what does he do? He comes back in and he goes to his master, Elisha, and he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? And I love verse number 16. In verse number 16, Elisha answers, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, Elisha's servant must have wondered exactly what Elisha thought he saw. Because when Elisha's servant looked out, he saw hundreds, thousands of chariots out there. But he didn't see anybody on his side. On his side, all he knew of were Elisha and himself. And he felt very much alone. And yet Elisha says here, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. In verse 17, it says, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So 
Elisha had a connection with heaven. And because of that connection with heaven, Elisha was able to see things that others couldn't. The king of Syria couldn't see what Elisha could see. Not even Elisha's servant could see what Elisha could see. But Elisha knew that there were horses and chariots about the city on his own side, on God's side. So what was this, this treasure that God bestowed to Elisha? And ultimately, we see he also, at least temporarily, gave it to Elisha's servant. The second treasure that we're looking at in Heaven's Storehouse is spiritual eyesight. The second treasure is spiritual eyesight. You know, when we look at life, we have a tendency to look at things from a human perspective. We look at things with, with limited eyesight. And a lot of times that limited eyesight, it doesn't serve us very well. For example, if you were to lose your job, how would you feel? Now, most people, if they lost their job, would feel a little bit discouraged, maybe depressed, despondent, downtrodden. You know, especially if the economy happens to be in a slump, you lose your job, and it, it makes you feel bad. That's the natural human response. But maybe God has something else in store. Maybe God has a better job for you. Or maybe God knows that you need to take a break for a little while for your own sanity, for your own health, for your own well-being. Maybe God has a shift that he wants to perform in your life, a direction that he wants to point you in that you would not be able to see if you were still focused on your job as you had been before. But God says in his wisdom, in his knowledge, he says, you know what? you need a little break. And so I'm going to relieve you of that which has been distracting you. And again, the, the natural human response is to be upset. But if we could see through God's eyes, if we could have that heavenly perspective, that spiritual eyesight, we might be able to see things differently when we face financial challenges, when we face health challenges, I mean, how often have you gotten sick? Have you, how often have you found yourself sick and, and thought, oh, woe is me? I'll tell you a story. Again, a true story. This was a, about 20 years ago. I had a roommate out in California, and he had, be, he had become disabled because of a, an accident in a sawmill. When he was working one day in the sawmill, he wasn't paying attention and some big metal claw or clamp or hook that was suspended from the ceiling that was moving logs from one place to another, somehow it, uh, it was loosed from where it should have been and it went flailing across the room. It hit him in the shoulder and damaged his shoulder severely and made it so that he was disabled and wasn't able to work anymore after that. He spent a long time in the hospital. He was incapacitated wasn't able to move, wasn't able to work. But what that did was it gave him time to read. And he chose to read something that you and I are familiar with, at least to some extent. He chose to read the Bible. 
And when he dug into the Bible, his spiritual life awakened. And he became the most devoted Christian, one of the most devoted Christians that I've ever run into. Christianity permeated who he was. It wasn't that way before the accident. But after the accident, he had that time to focus on God and his word and his plan for his life. So again, often we view things from a human perspective, from, uh, from a lower perspective. But God sits up on his throne in heaven and he can see everything. And he knows exactly what we need. When we lose a loved one unexpectedly, when we lose someone we care about prematurely to our way of thinking, it hurts. It's painful. That's natural. But God has a design for everything. It'd be great if everything had been perfect since the day that God created everything. But we live in a sinful world, and that impacts the way we see things. However, if we can allow God into the way that we see things, if we can access heaven's storehouse, he will give us spiritual eyesight like we have not had before. He will give us the ability to see things from a new perspective so that when we face the challenges in life, we don't become downtrodden and discouraged and despondent. Instead, we can say, well, you know what? I lost my job. Praise the Lord. You know, or I've been injured. I've been incapacitated. Praise the Lord. I don't know what he has in store for me, but I know he doesn't let anything happen to me without his permission. And so if you're going through a difficult time in life right now, whether again, it's financial or some challenge that you're having with your schooling or something going on at work or, or health-wise, say, Lord, help me to see things from your perspective. Give me spiritual eyesight and help me to be able to navigate through this so that along the way and in the end, I can bring glory to you. So that's the second uh, treasure that God has in his storehouse, in heaven's storehouse. That is spiritual eyesight. Let's take a look at the third treasure that God has in his storehouse. We're going to find this in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Now, when I say Daniel chapter 2, I have a feeling that most of you are going to say, you know what, I'm familiar with Daniel chapter 2. I've read it once or twice. I've heard one or two sermons preached about it, as well you should. But we're going to just draw out one small element from Daniel chapter 2 here. It's one more treasure that is found in heaven's storehouse. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 19. Daniel chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. Of course, just as a recap, uh, Daniel and his friends were captives in the kingdom of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was the king. And in Daniel chapter 2, we find that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream one night. He can't remember what the dream is, doesn't know what it's about, doesn't know what it means, but he knows that it's important. So he calls his wise men in to tell him what his dream was and what it meant. They're unable to deliver. But then Daniel comes in and asks the king about what's going on, asks him to give him a little bit of time, and then God gives Daniel the dream and the interpretation. So we're picking this up now in Daniel chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. 
And it says, so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. So Daniel knew that he was in a difficult spot and he knew that the only help that he could expect to have would be from heaven. It would be from God. And so he took his concerns. He took the things that were on his mind to God and trusted him. Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, again, keep in mind here, Daniel already had a relationship with God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had relationships with God. We see that clearly in the very next chapter. But this relationship that Daniel had with God allowed him to speak freely with God and to go to him confidently expecting an answer. So when we get to verse number 19, after Daniel and his friends seek God in prayer, it says, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Once God answered Daniel's prayer, Daniel acknowledged who it was that he was indebted to for having the answer to give to the king. And you read down the next few verses, and Daniel gives credit to God and so forth. But the part that I really want to draw into tonight's discussion is found in verse number 36. If you drop down to verse number 36, after Daniel explains what the dream is, and you're familiar with it, the head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay, the rock that comes and smashes the image and so forth. I love verse number 36, because after Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was, he then says in verse number 36, this is the dream. And now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. Daniel told the king, here's what your dream was. And then he said, this is the dream. He didn't waffle about it. He wasn't unsure. He didn't say, well, was that it? Did I get it right? Am I on the right track? Was it something like that? Daniel could speak with confidence. That's our third treasure in heaven's storehouse is confidence. When we are connected with God, when we are connected with the storehouse, the treasure house of heaven, we can have confidence in our lives. Daniel says this is the dream, and now we are going to share the interpretation. He wasn't even concerned that he might have gotten the dream wrong because he knew God had given him that dream. And if God had given him the dream and he trusted that God had given him the right dream, then he knew that his interpretation of that dream was also going to be accurate. So if you were looking for confidence, confidence in work, confidence in your interpersonal relationships, confidence in your friendship, maybe confidence in, you, in your marriage. If you're looking for confidence to share the gospel, to share your faith with others, if you're looking for confidence, the best place to get confidence is from the storehouse of heaven. That's where Daniel got his confidence. 
He blessed the God of heaven. He said, the God of heaven is the one who has revealed this to me. He, he gave all the credit to God. And when we accomplish things in this life, we would probably do well to give the credit to God as well. As soon as we start taking credit for things that we've done, well, a couple of chapters later in the book of Daniel, we see what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he took some credit for things that he thought he had done. Is not this great Babylon that I have built? Yeah, that didn't turn out so well for, uh, for Nebuchadnezzar, at least in the short run. In the long run, once he decided to give God the credit, then God blessed him and Nebuchadnezzar uh, blessed God as well with his life. And of course, we can expect to see Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of heaven. But here, this passage lets us know that if we connect with heaven, just as it said there in, uh, in Steps to Christ, if we connect with heaven, we will have access to heaven's storehouse. And one of those treasures in heaven's storehouse is a confidence, not in ourselves, but a confidence in God and his ability to lead us through the challenging times in life. And I don't know what you're going through right now, but if you're alive, then there are probably some challenges that you are facing in life. And if you are facing those challenges, go to the God of heaven, grab a hold of his promises, trust him, and he will give you confidence to face the challenges that you find yourself in. So there's the third treasure that we can find in heaven's storehouse, that is confidence. Let's go over now to the book of Matthew. We're going to find a fourth treasure. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, we're going to look at verse number 39. Matthew chapter 26, we're looking together at verse number 39. We're picking up this story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, of course, no one had a better relationship with God the Father than Jesus, the Son. All through his life, all through his ministry, he was connected with God, uh, hip to hip, shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow, arms locked, walking through life. But now we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here in Gethsemane, he is taking our sins upon his shoulders. And the Bible tells us that sin separates us from God. So he's beginning to feel himself separated from God like he has never felt before. And as he experiences this separation, he knows what's going to come. He knows he's going to go to the cross. He knows he's going to be whipped. He knows he's going to be beaten. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's going to be abandoned by his friends. He knows all of this. And he's, he's facing it, well, much like you and I would, not with a great deal of excitement or anticipation or thrill. He doesn't want to have to go through that any more than you and I would. But we take a look at verse number 39. It says, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He says, Father, if it's possible for me to, to make the plan of salvation work, to do what needs to be done for people to be saved, if it's possible for that to happen without all the stuff that I have to go through, without the abandonment, without the pain, without the, the sorrow, without the anguish, without all these things, if it's possible, 
let this cup pass for me. But then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was willing to submit his will to the Father's will. He says, I don't want to have to go through this, but if this is what has to happen, then I'm on board. Not as I will, but as you will. When you get over to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 14, verse number 12, there's a passage there that describes the group of people who are going to be living in earth's last days just before Jesus comes back. And it describes this group in these words. It says, here is the patience of the saints. In fact, I'm going to read that verse to you. And you're welcome to, uh, to go over there too, if you would like. We're in Revelation chapter 14 and verse number 12. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of Jesus, uh, pardon me, pardon me, who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. At the very end of time, there's going to be a group of people who have the faith of Jesus. What is the faith of Jesus? I think the faith of Jesus is probably most clearly portrayed here in the story of the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. That is having faith. That's the faith of Jesus. When we, living, when we you and I, living down near the, the closing pages of Earth's history, are facing the challenges that we are facing, and there's still plenty more challenges to come. We need to be able to face those challenges, saying the same thing that Jesus did. Father, not my will, but your will be done. And if we can embrace God's will for our lives rather than our own will, he is going to give us the same thing that he gave to Jesus. What did he give to Jesus? He gave him that fourth treasure in heaven's storehouse, and that is strength. He gave Jesus strength. And so what we see just a few uh, passages later, a few, uh, few verses later, is that God sent an angel to strengthen Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus could hold on to that promise of the Father that would get him through. So uh, treasure number four in heaven's storehouse is strength. Let's take a look at our fifth treasure. Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to take a look at verse number 30. Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 30. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 30, we're going to kind of pick up in a story, again, one that you're probably familiar with. It's a story of when the disciples were on a boat in the sea, and, uh, and they saw Jesus walking on the water. And Peter, impetuous fellow that he was, saw Jesus walking on the water, something that was completely impossible, at least to his way of thinking. But he said, if Jesus can do it, maybe I can do it too. And so he, he asked Jesus, well, let's pick this up in verse number uh, 28. Verse 27 says, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer as I do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he, Jesus, verse 29 said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Peter was doing something that prior to that moment in his life, he considered to be 
impossible, could not be done. But now he was doing the impossible. With Jesus, he was accomplishing the impossible. Have you ever felt that way? Felt that Jesus was with you in something and you were just riding high. Everything was going great. Things were phenomenal. And then something happened. And again, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened here. But it says in verse number 30, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, that's Peter, he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Shortest prayer in the entire Bible, three words. And yet that's all it took. Peter realized his need of Jesus. He realized that if he was going to survive, he needed to have Jesus help. And so he prayed that very short, very succinct, very direct prayer, Lord, save me. And instantly, Jesus answered that prayer. If you've ever gone through some challenging times in your life, maybe you're going through them right now, there are times to pray long, flowery prayers. You, you may have heard some of those prayed maybe during an offering appeal or something during church. Uh, sometimes long flowery prayers are appropriate. But when your life is in danger, when you have, when there are dire consequences facing you, sometimes the short prayer is the best one. Peter just said, prayed, Lord, save me. And Jesus saved him. So the fifth treasure that God can offer us from his storehouse is physical salvation. He can save us. And it's important to realize that he can save us a whole lot better than we can save ourselves. Jesus reached down, picked Peter up, and saved him. That's our fifth treasure. We're going to look now at our sixth and final treasure. Sixth and final treasure is in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 our sixth and final treasure that we're going to look at from heaven's storehouse this evening, Luke 23 and verse number 42. Luke 23, verse number 42. In verse number 42, we're looking here at the, the repentant thief on the cross. Of course, we know Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One was repentant, the other was not. We're looking at the repentant thief here, and he says to G, or Jesus says to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus told that repentant thief, a man whose life didn't deserve salvation, but because he recognized that salvation was in Jesus, and that was the only hope that he had, he reached out to Jesus. He called him Lord. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. What's the sixth treasure that God offers us from his storehouse? It is eternal salvation. Treasure number six is eternal salvation. There is no salvation in anyone else other than Jesus. And that treasure only comes from the bounties of heaven. There's no amount of works you can perform to be saved. There's no amount of money that you can pay to be saved. But from the bounty of heaven's storehouse, salvation comes through Jesus Christ. That is treasure number six. 
eternal salvation. What is the greatest treasure, really, if you, if you stop to think about it? The greatest treasure I would like to submit to you is communion with God. When we can commune with him, when he dwells with us and we dwell with him, it makes all the difference in the world. He is the one that helps us through the challenges of life. He is the one that helps us to keep our humility where it needs to be when we are riding high on the waves of life. He's the one who helps us to stay grounded. When we are communing with him, when we are connected to him, just like Jesus was, he can get us through this life and he can help us be ready for the life to come. I want to sh close by sharing a, uh, another story, a true story. This one happened to me back when I was in college many, many years ago now. When I was a college student, I didn't have a whole lot of money. In fact, I didn't have much money at all. Uh, there were times where I didn't have enough money to buy French fries. I would sell plasma downtown so that I could get enough money to buy food. It, it, was, it was tight at times. Uh, I did have an apartment. I had a car. Uh, I was real careful with my gas. But I was involved in church. And one week, I was asked to go downtown to the newspaper office to place an ad about a speaker who was coming to the university that was going to discuss the, uh, the uh, what shall we call it, the debate between creation and evolution. And I thought, you know what, this is, this is something that, that the students here at this secular university need to hear. And so I was asked to go downtown and to put an ad in the paper. And I was happy to do it. But I knew that if I drove downtown, there was only metered parking downtown. And I didn't have any money in my wallet. But I thought, well, I'll, I'll go upstairs, I'll go to my dresser, and I'll get some change. I'm sure I've got some change there. And so I went upstairs to my apartment and went to my dresser and looked in the little bowl that I kept on the, on the top of my dresser where I would put my loose change if I had it. I looked in there and there was no change in there. I thought, well, maybe there's something on the kitchen counter. Maybe I, I left some change there. I went to the kitchen counter, nothing. There was, wasn't a penny anywhere in the apartment. I thought, man, I really need to get this, this ad in because uh, the newspaper office is about to close and I've got to get down there and get parked and get it in before it closes. I got to find some money. And so I, I thought, well, maybe I'll walk the dog. If I walk the dog and I look down at the ground, maybe I'll come across uh, a quarter or something that I could then take and put in the meter downtown because I sure can't afford to get a, a, a parking ticket. And so I took the dog and I walked downstairs and started walking around the parking lots and walking along the side of the street. I'm looking down in the gutters, trying to find something, anything that I can take to put in a meter downtown and I'm finding nothing. And so finally I said, all right, Lord, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna step out in faith. I'm gonna drive downtown and I'm gonna trust that you are somehow going to provide me the money that I need in order to put it in the meter by the time I get down there. So I put the dog back in the apartment. I walked downstairs. I walked over to my car. I opened up the driver's door of the car and I looked at the, at the front seat, at the driver's seat. And right in the center of that seat 
was a single dime, 10 cents, right in the center of the seat. And I looked at that dime and I thought, you know what, Lord, that dime is worth so much more to me than 10 cents right now. That dime is priceless because you answered my prayer when I stepped out in faith. And I took that dime and I drove downtown, I put it in the meter and I got the ad in in time for it to be published and for the students at the university to come and hear that speaker uh, talk on the subject of creation and evolution. God is good. If we trust him, he will see us through. What was that quote there in Steps to Christ, pages 94 and 95? Why should the sons and daughters of God be reluctant to pray when prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse where are treasured the boundless resources of omnipotence? So my hope and prayer is that you will not neglect to pray because when you pray to God, he will open to you his storehouse and you will be blessed with treasures that you have never experienced before. If that's your desire, if you want to connect with God through prayer and learn to trust him in even more, then I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the many promises that you give to us. We thank you that heaven's storehouse is full to overflowing with blessing for us, and you want us to receive them. So we ask that you would bless us, encourage us to come to you in faith. Give us the hope that we need to face the challenges of life today and help us to find access to the treasures that you have up there that you so long to give us down here. And may, through our receiving of these treasures, may we be able to influence others to learn to trust you as well. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.